Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. I'm thankful our students and students made it back. We had 48 students and adults that went on the border, the border of uh, Mexico, uh, in the, on the U.S. side, and did a mission trip. And so it was a great trip. And so I'm thankful for for just all that I've heard uh, from from them. So we're thankful for that. You know, uh, several years ago at our church, we kind of uh, walked, started walking through Easter as a season and not just a day. And um, this week we're starting our, kind of our look, our focus on Easter. And in four weeks from now will be Easter Sunday. And um, uh and, you know, there's several things we'll experience throughout this, this uh, Easter season. Uh, the Passion Week, or the, excuse me, the Upper Room Experience, which is coming up the week before Easter, which will uh, be two nights. You can find information on the website, which will be uh, helpful for that. That'll be something you don't want to miss. But we're also taking four Sunday mornings looking at post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And you'll notice in our Bible reading, now if you're visiting today, as a church, we're reading through the Bible. And this week, we finished the Pentateuch. Um, The Pentateuch is what you describe, that's a descriptor of Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so um, that's a a big task. That's the the entire law. Now, now think about this. A good Jewish, uh, a devout Jew would have all that memorized. Yowzers. I mean, when you think about that, I mean, like we want to give ourselves a cookie because we read it. Imagine memorizing it, right? Um, But let's think about this. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to what? But to fulfill it. And so everything that we've read in Genesis through Deuteronomy, the law, Jesus came to fulfill. And, And, um, and so if you have not joined us in reading through the Bible, I want to challenge you to just jump in where we are. Uh, um, you'll notice in our Bible reading this week, and, and if you um, caught it, there was a passage that was repeated every, like, four times. And, and we're, what we're going to do is try to meditate on the passage that we're going to be preaching on, um, and we're going to do that every week through the, through the, the next four weeks. So, um, you know... This Easter season, one of our series is called Convinced, and it's my prayer that we, we benefit from rubbing shoulders with those first disciples that were absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I've tried to put myself in their shoes to think about what it was like to be those first disciples as they, as they watched Jesus die as they saw him go to the cross. And, and you know, I would, I would say that, that there was not a bigger event in the history of the world than the resurrection of Christ. I would call it the focal point of human history. But when you think about the, those first disciples in that moment of his death, they were, they were shocked. They were, they were struggling, and they were, they, they were, they were looking at the, just their the problem that they were facing, and they forgot that John 16.33 moment. Now, now John wrote John 16.33 much later, but, but, but all those early disciples were there when Jesus articulated John 16.33. Yeah, that, that verse says uh, Jesus was 
walking with them, and he says, um, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart because I've overcome the world. And in this moment of the, of the crucifixion of Christ, those first disciples forgot to take heart. They forgot that, that Jesus had actually overcome the world. They've overcome their problems. Now, I get it, and you probably do too. We, we, um, we sometimes allow our problems to just come like right in front of us that we forget that Christ has overcome everything in this world. So we can cut them some slack, but, but, but here's the thing. Jesus appeared to people after his death. And it was incredible to watch this incredible, this, this transformation that took place when they realized Christ is no longer dead. And, and this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And let's, uh, let, let's, let's recognize this. Let's look at this. Turn, turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 11. And, and what's interesting is that, that the disciples not only heard Jesus say he's going to overcome the world, but those first disciples saw it. That they watched it happen in front of their eyes. They watched Jesus prove to them that he, he overcame death. So let's stand together. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. And let's look at this, this incredible moment that Mary Magdalene, the first person that we know of recorded in Scripture that Jesus appeared to in verse 11. Look at this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, uh, Sir, if, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, thank you. Maybe seated. Now, now the first thing is obvious in this passage, and let's just kind of consider it, that, that Jesus kept his resurrection promise. Now, now, it's not incredibly insightful, but it's in incredibly glaring. Jesus kept his resurrection promise. And, and you know, when you think about what, what the prophets had said, the prophets of old in, in the Old Testament, they, they predicted, they, they talked about that this Messiah would come and enter the world. And, and he, would, he would not just deliver, but he would be a suffering servant. He would suffer. 
Isaiah said he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that would bring us peace would be on him. And by his wounds, we'd, we would be healed. And, and, and you know, the, the, the disciples forgot what the prophet said. They even forgot what Jesus had said. I mean, Jesus said in, in, in John 12, 24, he, he taught them. He said, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and it dies and it, remain, it remains alone, but if it dies, um, it bears much fruit. They forgot these things that, that Jesus just flat out told them that he was going to die on the cross. Even in, on their way to Jerusalem, right, just a few days earlier, Jesus told them. Mark chapter 10 records this, that they were on the road to Jerusalem. They were going up there. And, and in, in verse 33 of Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. After three days, he would rise. But, but in the moment, everybody forgot these things. They were just looking at the impossibility that Jesus died. And, and you know, um, I, I get it. You know, when, you, when you're... When you're when you're going through this time of trial, it's easy just to look at the trial and not remember what God has said. And, and I think we need to consider this. We need to not just look at our trials and our problems and forget what God has said. And, and the magnitude of this moment is, is huge. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, what is happening? What, what happened when Jesus went to the cross? It was, it was holy God who, who, like 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And I'll tell you, I, th I think there's going to be a day for all of us. I, I think it's going to be so incredible the day we draw our last breath and we stand before God. I think we're going to be like, whoa. Oh, my goodness, Whoa. Not just that we're going to see Jesus, that's going to be incredible, but I think we're going to recognize, we're going to see holiness for the first time. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and when we draw our last breath, we're going to see holiness. And I think we're going to just be astonished at, the, at this, this truth that is hard for us to comprehend because we can say the words holy, we can say that God is holy, but we really don't have any frame of reference for holiness because we've never seen it. Remember God said to Moses, Moses says, I want to see your holiness. And he said, you can't. He hit him, hit him in the cleft of the rock. Remember that? He said, you can't see holiness because you'll die, Moses. We read about that. And, and, and I really believe that we're going to see holiness for the first time. And it's going to be so unbelievable that holy God would become sin because he loved us. That's what happened on the cross. That's what happened at the resurrection. And, and, and you know, our, here's, what, here's what I'm grateful for. As I look at how Jesus told them, I'm, I'm going to do this, how he kept his promise. You know what God was doing, what Jesus was doing? He was faithful to prepare his disciples for their future. 
And do you know what I'm grateful for as I look at God? God does the same thing for us. He prepares us for our future. I mean, the experiences that we've faced in the past, God uses that to prepare us for our future. We see this in uh, James chapter 1. Trials, the ups and downs of life, prepares us for the future. The, uh, the, the ups and downs we face today prepare us for our future. The, um, and rest assured, right now, God's at work in our lives. God's preparing us for what's ahead. He did that with the disciples. He's doing that with us. And, and, but let's not miss the context of, of John 20. Look, at, look back with me at verse 1. We, 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 we know that right before John 20, Jesus was crucified. So, so the tomb was empty. And it's, it's, it's something that we, we recognize. We understand. That's the context of John 20. The, the disciples were distraught. They saw him die. There, there's people that, through history, that have said crazy things like, you know what, when Jesus was on the cross, he really didn't die. He actually just uh, fell asleep for a while. And then they put him in the tomb. They thought he was dead, but then he woke up and he, he, he pushed the stone away, beat up the guards, and then said, hey, guys, I'm back, you know. But this week, one of the things I did is I looked up some of the details of, of crucifixion. And, and you hear the Romans, they were really good at crucifixion. They had actually perfected it. And, and I want to read to you just some of the things that happened physically with crucifixion. It's, first of all, um, this is incredibly painful, but it's not fatal that, that uh, the wounds that are afflicted on a, on a crucifixion, they, they nail their body to the cross. Now, most of the time, it was common for them not just to nail them, they would also tie them. So the arms were tied, the feet were tied, and then they put a nail through. And this kept the nails from ripping out, and, and this kept them secure on the cross. And that was difficult, but it, and it was excruciating, but it wasn't necessarily life-threatening. Then, but there was a second difficulty that became uh, more catastrophic for a body. The, the, the second one was the abnormal position on the cross because when you were on the cross, you would act, literally have to stand up on the nail and the way your body was, was hanging, it would, it would cause you to start to suffocate and the only way you could take a breath would be to stand up on the nail to breathe. And then, and this started to make your body catastrophic. And then, then the, the longer you were there, if you were there for any amount of time, a fever would often develop because your body is in such trauma and it would hit the victim. And then, then things would just cascade after that. And not, not to be gruesome, but, but uh, the blood would sink to the lower extremities of the body. It was difficult on the body. Within six to 12 minutes, the blood pressure drops in half well, the rate of the pulse doubles, and so it's just really a catastrophic uh, uh, situation for your body. The heart is deprived of blood. Fainting follows. And according to medical people, I looked this up, and, and uh, you know, some of you medical people may correct my pronunciation here, but the orthorastic collapse starts. I looked it up, so it's got to be right. Uh, uh, but this has caused due to insufficient circulation, and then your body dies. And these early disciples saw it. But look at verse 1 in chapter 20. Jesus was dead and in the tomb. And imagine Mary Magdalene. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early 
while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So what you see right here, it's just glaring in the text, the tomb was literally open and unoccupied by Jesus when Mary got there. Oh my goodness, where, where, where is he? The tomb was, was open. It was unoccupied. And, 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 and in that chaotic moment, you know, Mary just assumes someone stole it. She didn't remember that Jesus predicted his resurrection. He told them about this, that he was going to rise from the dead. Verse 2, look at this. So she ran, ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And I love John. John writes this. And I can't wait to meet him in heaven because what does he say here? The one Jesus loved. Peter and the one that Jesus loved. By the way, John's writing this. He's like, yeah, I'm the one that he loved, right? I love that. Um, and, uh, and he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. So Mary assumes they, they stole his body. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. To the tomb. I love John, right? He's like, I'm not only... Uh, Loved more than Peter, I'm faster than him as well. And uh, I love this about John. Um, and stooping to look in, verse 5, <clears throat> he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not, not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I think it's interesting that, that Peter and John, and John points out that when they entered the tomb, they noticed the cloths. And they were separate places, but the face cloth was folded. You know, it's interesting because this is the second time in the book of John that you hear grave cloths mentioned. The first one was in John 11 when Lazarus, remember Lazarus was, he had, he had risen from the dead. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb after he had been dead for four days. And, and he comes out and he still had his grave cloths on. Because Lazarus was going to need those again. Maybe they got new grave cloths probably, but, but, but I think the symbol is clear. But I think it's interesting that Jesus' grave cloths, the face was folded. Um, you know, if you're going to steal the body like some people claim, they just stole it, you're not going to fold things up. I think that's an incredible statement being made that Jesus is no longer going to need grave clothes. Look at verse 8. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, went in. And notice what it says about John. He saw and believed. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then I think it's interesting the disciples went back to their homes. They went back to their homes. So, so, so John believed. What did he believe? I think that John's starting to put it together. Like, wait a minute. I like John because John was the disciple that never left Jesus. I think it's interesting that he got the revelation. And I don't know, there might be a tie there. But, but, but John was like, okay, wait a minute. It's starting to come together. And, and then look what happened next. This is so very interesting what happened next. Because you see spiritual beings 
made themselves visible. I think it's interesting that Mary stayed at the tomb while Peter and John were like, yeah, let's go home, man. I don't know. I don't know. They got to think about this. But Mary's like, no, I ain't leaving. I'm not leaving. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So, so I, it's, she's still investigating this thing. She's like, I'm going to figure this out. She's weeping, and she's like, I, I got I to figure this out. But then look, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, now you know what's very, I think, important to recognize here? In our, in our American society, in our, in our sophistication, do you know one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Americans is we overlook the spiritual. You, you know, we, we are so, uh, like, focused on this world, on the here and now. And I want to challenge us to make sure we as believers don't follow suit with that. That we recognize there is a spiritual reality of life because in this moment, spiritual beings made themselves visible. Folks, we cannot miss the spiritual dimension of life. And all through the scripture, you see angels and you see demons. You see this in Ephesians chapter 6. You see this all through the scriptures. And let me tell you something. Angels are real beings. And let's think about what a theology of angels. Psalm 148, 2 and 5 says this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Verse 5. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. If, you, if you're interested in some angels or constantly what the Bible reveals about angels, number one, you see that they're created beings. Angels are created. You see angels are, are in Scripture are more powerfully physically than people, but let's recognize they're not omnipotent. They're not all powerful. Uh, you know, it's interesting, though, how powerful they are. Some people say, well... Um, uh, Jesus, how the stone get rolled away? Well, I think the angels moved the stone. I don't think that's a pro- that's not a problem for me intellectually or theologically. You, you see, in Daniel chapter six, angels what do they do with 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 Daniel and the lions? In they, they shut the mouths of the lions. So angels are powerful. Let's not forget that. A- angels, an angel's appearance is usually invisible, but but we see through Scripture they have the ability to appear. You see that right here. In John chapter 20, you see it in 2 Kings chapter 6, that that angels can appear. The word angel, you know what it means? It means messenger. And I think that's very interesting to recognize that that, that the name itself means and helps us see that God uses angels to deliver messages to us. Um, Angels are used to execute God's judgment and purposes. You, you, You see this. Angels were... You, you, when you look at the life of Jesus, they were involved in every aspect of his life. Remember when he was tempted in Luke 4 and John 4, they were, they, he was tempted by, uh, not John 4, Luke 4. Um, uh, he was tempted by, by, by Satan. Angels ministered to him. You see angels uh, involved in, the, in Jesus' life. Angels, remember what Hebrews 1.14 says? They were, they're ministering spirits. Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
So I, you can, it's just so cool to watch and how, how these angels are ministering to Mary. Now, they're confronting her. Hey, why are you weeping? Um, and, and they're like, look, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Where, where's the Lord? And look what happens next in verse 16. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. Oh, my goodness. Jesus then shows up. Mary. That caught her attention because she knew his voice. You know, do you remember what your father's voice sounds like when he called your name? Mary was certain when she, he said, Mary, she stopped and turned around. And what does she say? She, she says, um, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And, and you know what I think she did right here? She grabbed him. I think she ran and grabbed him. Some people look at, at verse 17 where he, Jesus says, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father. I don't, I don't think Jesus is like, you can't touch me. Well, I think what he's saying here is, hey, Mary, don't cling to this body because I'm gonna do something different. And he says what he's about to do. He says, he says I, I want you to go to my brothers. I am ascending, notice this, to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And this is this one of those instances of Scripture where there's this, there's this incredible revelation of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and their interaction. And it's fascinating and, and worthy of incredible contemplation as you think about it. But verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. And look what she says. Look what she says to him. What she says to them. She says, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. I want you to notice in this moment how, how Mary changed from weeping to this contagious motivation. She, she went from being this devast, in this devastated state going, where, is, where are you, Lord? And now she is this, this motivated soldier going to these men going, hey, I got to tell you something. And look what she says. She says, I have seen the Lord. She didn't say, I've seen his body. She didn't say, I found his body. This is different. She goes, no, I've seen the Lord. Why? Because Jesus had risen from the grave. Oh, my goodness. This changed her life. And, and I'll tell you, folks, there's a lot of reasons why you and I can be confident that Jesus is alive. Now, in the next, can I just take a minute and take off my pastor hat and, and be a son for a minute? Um, many of you know this, but, but um, my dad is not far from heaven. And... Um, and I can't tell you how, how God has used his word this week to help me think about the resurrection of Christ. And I, and I can't, 
I can't explain to you how God has just ministered to my heart through his word. As I've sat with my mom in this, like, Tuesday night, um, I'm standing at the bed of my father, three in the morning next to my mom, and she says to me, do you think he's going to wake up? And I said, no, I don't, Mom. And, um, and the next morning we sat down and said, well, let's, I've been thinking a lot about the resurrection. Let's just think about this. And we got the Bible out. And, and Mary Magdalene was the first person that Jesus revealed himself to. Do you know who the last person was that Jesus revealed himself to? It was Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 15, my, my, we, we sat down with my mom and my sister, and we said, let's just look at 1 Corinthians 15. Because you know what I've experienced this week as a, as a son? Helping my dad step into eternity? I'll tell you what, the resurrection of Christ has changed my doubts. And if I can just live in this moment with you as a son, you know what I've discovered this week and how God has used this passage and used Mary Magdalene in my life this week? He's removed some doubts about this life. You know, that's what the resurrection of Christ does. It removes doubts about this life. And, and here's what I'm discovering is that, is that following Jesus always delivers more than I can imagine. And this week, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I am, it's been very emotional and very difficult for my family. And, I, 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 and we're not through with it. But, but, I, but I look at 1 look at Corinthians chapter 15. I've got it on the screen, I think. I think Rhonda has it up for us. But verse 3 says this, for, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, uh, and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. See, Mary was the first to be convinced that Christ had risen from the dead, and Paul was the last one to physically see Christ as risen from the dead. And folks, I'll tell you what. God kept his resurrection promise. And doubts about this life, uh, I'm telling you, um, follow Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus in this life. Trust Jesus on this side of eternity. He delivers. You know what else has been eliminated for me? Or, or I wouldn't say eliminated, but um, helped this week. Doubts about death. God, God has used 
his word to remove some doubts I have about death. Do you realize that when Jesus rose from the dead, that, that death is completely disarmed and completely destroyed? Look at verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Uh, it's so very interesting because Paul says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came death, but by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, notice this, so in Christ all shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Do you know what's about to happen to my father? My, my father is about to draw his last breath, and, and I don't know how many days left, but we're talking days. But you know what's going to happen the second my father draws his last breath? He will be made alive. That's what the resurrection does. And that's why it's so significant because as in Adam all die, but notice this, in Christ, he will be made alive. And notice what it says, each in his own order. Isn't it interesting that birth comes one at a time? I mean, even if you have twins or triplets or whatever the numbers are, people have these days. It's one at a time. Isn't it interesting that salvation comes one at a time? Isn't it interesting that death comes one at a time? But it's, but here's what we know, each in his own order, but, but let me tell you that Christ gives us victory in death. That's why verse 54 says, where when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm grateful for? There was a moment that my father came to know Christ as his savior. Let me tell you something. My father, I love him deeply. That man was a sinner. I can testify to that because I've known him my whole life. But let me tell you something. That sinner came to recognize that he needed a Savior. And when he went to Jesus, Jesus saved him. My dad was a coach. And man, I heard lots of things come out of that coach's mouth. But one of those things that I heard come out of my that coach's mouth is, Jesus, I need you. Save me. And Jesus saved him. And folks, let me tell you something. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm in this moment, like many of you have been in. I'm helping my father go to heaven. But I'll tell you, the resurrection changes all of it. 
It takes the sting out of all of it. Because Jesus in the resurrection destroyed and disarmed death. Do you know what else he did? This week, God has not only relieved some doubts about this life, he's not only relieved some doubts about death, but God's relieved some doubts about the future. You know what? Um, God's faithful in this life and the next. And folks, let me tell you something. There will be a next life. The spiritual is real. And all through the scriptures, you see God revealing angels. You see God making promises for eternal life. You see Jesus dying on a cross and rising from the dead and saying something so important, I'm going to go be with my God and your God. I'm going to be with my Father and your Father. Folks, eternity is a reality that you can bank on. And, and that's why verse 58 is so very cool that Paul ends this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, your lab- that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, Mary was convinced that the resurrection took place. Paul was convinced that the resurrection took place. I'll tell you what, we... This sermon path that we're on, I finished planning that in October. I'm not that good to figure out that come March 19th, right? March 19th, I'd be preaching a message on the resurrection of Christ because I needed to help my dad prepare for his life to begin. Folks, are you convinced about the resurrection? You know, the resurrection of Christ, it it reveals that death's not the end of existence. Don't miss that. It also reveals that we really need to pay attention to the salvation message. Hey, we need to pay attention to this. We need to listen to the the Holy Spirit moving in us and drawing us. And and here's what I'm grateful for in the the midst of our sadness, in the midst of the difficulty of the moment, because I want you to know we're having a difficult moment, but yet I want you to know forgiveness is available. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus, he'll save you. And you don't have to doubt about your salvation or doubt about whether Christ is in your life. Folks, he rose from the grave. Who did that? You know, just the other, on on Wednesday, my, 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 my mom and my sister, we went to this restaurant in Norman for breakfast. 
and I, and I was wondering why it was so crowded, but it was spring break, and I was like, okay. And it was like 10 o'clock, so I was like, all these people got up late to come to breakfast. So I walk in the restaurant, and, uh, um, and it, was, it was like a 45-minute wait. And, um, and so the, the, the waitress said, I mean, there's all these people standing there, and it's just crowded, you know, like a, you've seen that before. And, and uh, this, this waitress said, you know, we, we have this area out here that nobody's sitting in, but it's a, it had some tarps that had a heaters blowing, but it was kind of outside, but it was a kind of a, a plastic patio enclosure. And, and she goes, you can go out there. You can sit right there right now. And I, I stuck my head out there. I was like, all right, let's go out here. So all these people, I was like, excuse me, sorry, sorry. And we went and sat down and got our menus. And, and literally, my sister commented on this. Three minutes later, the whole outside area was full. And, and, and Angie, my sister, said, well, I wonder why people didn't come out here earlier. I was like, well, uh, people need leadership. And uh, they just needed to see somebody taking a first step. And so... So I was like, we just let all these people to come out here and eat. And they got to eat faster. And I just commented, you know, life's kind of like that. People in the world believe some of the dumbest things. But folks, let me tell you something. There's only one who conquered the grave. That is why... I want to say to you, use your head. Use your reason. And like you're going you're to rub shoulders with 1 Corinthians 15. The first part of that chapter, pay close attention. Because the first 19 verses, Paul kind of makes this argument that, hey, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then, there's, then nothing matters. And, and it, then all of us should be pitied. But verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ rose from the dead. There ain't other religions, folks. There's one path to heaven. Because it was only Jesus who conquered the grave. Don't miss it. Don't miss that. And this is why I, I want to follow Mary's example. I think it's absolutely incredible that, that it was the, a woman that, that he went to that was a former prostitute that said, you get to be the first one to see that I've risen from the dead. Someone so undeserving by the world's standards. But you know who she represents? Every one of us. who Jesus came and died for. Oh, don't you see him? Aren't you convinced at the resurrection? Don't you feel the call to follow the example of Mary and saying, I'm going to go right now and tell everybody that I know about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's done for me. This is why I pray we are a church with a sense of urgency and confidence in our faith. This is why I pray we continue to look at the word of God and follow his voice and allow God's word to shape the way we think. And this week, if I just am honest with you, I needed to be a son and not a pastor and just say, God, would you allow your word to help me know how to think about my father? And the Holy Spirit did. Hey, let's trust him. And I guarantee you, 
in days, according to the scriptures, my father will be made alive in eternity. And I'll have to wait to see him a little bit. But let me tell you something. Jesus kept his promise about the resurrection. And you know what else he's going to do? He's going to keep his promise about eternal life. If you're here today without Jesus, don't go one more day without him. If you're here today knowing Jesus, I pray this lights a fire under our tails and we do something about it in letting the world know about Christ. Joe, we need to have an invitation. So, how has God spoken to you today? If you need Christ, we're around afterwards. You could go to one of our people in the foyer. They'll talk to you. We, we'll take time with you. You could come and get on your knees. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've lost that urgency. Let me tell you something. Don't leave here without asking the Lord for urgency. Would you bow your head where you are? Father, we give you this time. I thank you for this lady that you spoke to. And you turned her weeping into joy that was contagious. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would we'd be that way. That every one of us that know you as Savior, we would be that way. Father, there's got to be somebody in this room that is still considering you. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move right now. Father, we need you. And we believe you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand where you are?